0: Ted Ginn is fast Ted Ginn is very fast there was a turnover defender had the ball was going the other way and then out from the far side of the screen like he had hit one of those nitrous buttons in the fast and the furious there goes Ted Ginn streaking across your television to make the tackle it was jarring how fast he looked on that play on a relative basis I've never seen a player in the NFL look faster. I mean, you'd have to go back to Bo Jackson for me to be more disoriented by a player's speed at the NFL level than I was seeing Ted Ginn play catch-up, gain ground to make a tackle. Wow, he is fast. Like, wow! Wow. He is incredibly fast. Ted Ginn is also going to be the number one receiver on a Super Bowl winning team. I'll say it again. Ted Ginn is going to be the number one receiver on a Super Bowl winning team. Oh, this has been such a crazy season, hasn't it? Oh, wow. That just exemplifies what a crazy year it's been. So many outliers. So hard to predict. Unlike the season before, and the season before that, and the season before that, geez, most years the NFL is so easy to predict, but this year's been crazy. (laughs) Right. The rise of Ted Ginn personifies the normal standard issue NFL season. This is what we get every year. Players breaking out out of nowhere. This year in particular, we had a lot of old breakout players from Gary Barnage to Ted Ginn. Even Jay Cutler broke out, apparently. But yes, you had a lot of old breakout players. Multiple old breakout tight ends. Zach Miller and Gary Barnage into their 30s when they first became fantasy relevant. So yes, there's been a handful of interesting storylines in the NFL this year, but not any more than there are any other year. We didn't have an inordinate number of sleepers break out this year. We didn't have an inordinate number of busts. Every year, there's a lot. The end. The NFL is a crazy sport. That's why it's so popular. You don't know what's going to happen. That's why it's so popular. Half of the players that become fantasy relevant weren't on anyone's radar screen at the beginning of the season. That's why it's so popular. Crazy year this year. Oh, it just exemplifies what a crazy year it was. Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn was a top 10 pick of the NFL. Top 10 pick in the draft. So, I've seen crazier things than a top 10 player in the draft ascending to fantasy relevance and becoming the number one wide receiver on his team. But yes, okay, it's still amazing that Ted Ginn, who is now in his 30s, is the number one wide receiver for a Super Bowl winning team. And I can already hear the buzzards. And hey, they haven't won the Super Bowl yet. They haven't won the Super Bowl yet. I made you parrots. Would buzzards feel like that was a slight to be called a parrot? In the pecking order. (laughs) in In the pecking order. God, I really wish that pun was intended. God! In the bird pecking order. In the hierarchy of bird species. Which is higher? The buzzard or the parrot? Contact the show at Roto Underworld. Or email us. Roto Underworld at gmail.com, which is higher in the bird pecking order. (laughs) I want to say hierarchy because pecking order is funny, but I just didn't, I didn't intend it to be a pun. If we had come into the show and on my show sheet, I had pecking order in parentheses, I would have been able to deliver it better, would have been funnier, but instead it was an unintended pun, so I can't say pun intended. So now I'm shy to use it. I want to say hierarchy, but I just can't help but say, in the bird pecking order, where is the buzzard versus the parrot? Speaking of parrots, we're already hearing people parroting the same analysis about Devin Funchess. And what is it? Oh, mm, yeah, don't forget, Devin Funchess still stinks. Maybe you've forgotten, in case you forgot. Devin Funches still stinks. In case you forgot, 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 in case you forgot. Case you forgot. Devin Funches stinks. Yeah, Devin Funches stinks. Why does Devin Funchess stink again? Because he's 21 years old and had 473 receiving yards, five touchdowns for a 21 year old at the NFL level. That stinks, <laughs> right? That somehow stinks. What are you talking about? Stinks. Most wide receivers that are 21 years old are in college right now. They're not in the Super Bowl. Stinks. Makes no sense to say that. Which rookie wide receivers had better seasons than Devin Funchess this year? For sure, Amari Cooper. Definitely Tyler Lockett. Absolutely Stephon Diggs. Maybe Doriel Green-Beckham, depending on how you do the measurements. An extra fantasy point per game. An extra 100 yards total and counting stats. Okay, maybe Doriel Green-Beckham. That's four wide receivers. Anyone else? Anyone, anyone, again, contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. Were there any other rookie receivers that were better than Devin Funchess this year? I'm interested to know if I forgot anyone. There weren't many. No one was younger than him and very few outperformed him, yet he stinks. (laughs) Get over it. Get over it. The eye test lost the Metrics won with Devin Funches. No, Devin Funchess doesn't lack courage at the catch point, quote unquote. That's gibberish tape grinder nonsense. Devin Funchess posted a 41.4% college dominator rating last year at Michigan, which was 79th percentile. That's what matters. Well, I hope you enjoyed it because Kelvin Benjamin's coming back next year. <laughs> Kelvin Benjamin, who turns 25 next week turns 25. Devin Funchess and Kelvin Benjamin are three and a half years apart. Think about that. And because of that, because of where Kelvin Benjamin was when he was 21 years old versus where Devin Funchess is now at 21 years old, I have Devin Funchess ranked higher in my dynasty rankings. Go to playerprofiler.com. Forward slash player dash rankings to see my dynasty rankings. Go check them out. And I have Kelvin Benjamin outside the top 40 because it should surprise no one if Devin Funches outperforms, outproduces Kelvin Benjamin next year. And I'll go a step further and say that Ted Ginn should outproduce Kelvin Benjamin next year. Why not? Ted Ginn had 12.3 fantasy points per game and he plays a unique role in that offense. As the stretch X, Ted Ginn is an important piece of that puzzle. When you think about the wide receiver configuration for the Carolina Panthers, they need what Ted Ginn brings to the table. They don't need what Kelvin Benjamin brings to the table because I believe Devin Funchess next year, Devin Funchess with an extra year of seasoning, will be able to do the things that Kelvin Benjamin did last year better than Kelvin Benjamin did them or will do them. Then I have Ted Ginn ranked as the number 86 dynasty wide receiver, and that's probably too low. I need to raise that up. That needs to go up, 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 up. After I saw him hit the nitrous in an NFL playoff game to make a tackle, that alone, that play alone necessitates Ted Ginn rising in the rankings, the dynasty rankings. Checking out the dynasty rankings is one way that you can take advantage of what we have to offer at Roto Underworld on playerprofiler.com. Another way to take advantage of what we have to offer, another way to support this show, is to visit playerprofiler.com forward slash concierge. That's the number one way to support this show. We get asked this question all the time on social media, via email. How do I support the show? I want to support the show. I want to keep you on the air. Love the show. Keep doing the show. Keep doing what you do. How do I help you? Continue to do what you do. I want to support the show. Want to support the show? Sign up for concierge. Because when you sign up for concierge, you get my personal assistance throughout the year. Starting now through January 1, 2017, I give you personal assistance anytime you need it with your fantasy team. Phone calls, text, email, Twitter direct message, strategy sessions. That's what the concierge service brings. That's what we offer And that is the best way to support the site, support the show, support this whole enterprise. Now, one of the reasons you should sign up now is because I can help you with your Dynasty League teams. Also, if this service becomes popular, it will close eventually. At some point this year, we will have to shutter the service because so many people are signed up that I'm at maximum bandwidth offering personal advice. There's only so much I can support. I only have so much bandwidth that I can offer to the concierge service. And once I'm at max capacity, we're going to go ahead and shut the service down. So you're incentivized to sign up now as opposed to later. And one of the things you will not need to ask me about if you sign up for the concierge service is David Johnson. David Johnson, who had 128 yards and 25 fantasy points against the Carolina Panthers in the NFL playoffs last weekend. Wow. Just wow. David Johnson will be my number one running back in redraft for 2016. I mean, book it. I told you this a month ago. But it's a certainty there's no doubt I can tell you with definitive certainty even though I haven't even started my redraft rankings yet and those will also be available on playerprofile.com look out for those yeah but the number one running back will be David Johnson and I don't think it's going to be particularly close the problem is other people are also ranking David Johnson as their number one running back in fantasy and that is just annoying. That is frustrating to me because I have a lot more to say about David Johnson. I could talk about David Johnson all offseason. I'm sure I could. He's one of the most fantastic running backs to ever enter the NFL. His profile on playerprofile.com was one of the no-doubter running back profiles of my lifetime. Who wouldn't want to talk about this player? But I can't talk about him. In fact, I am boycotting David Johnson analysis of... For the rest of the season. This is the last show you will ever hear me speak the name David Johnson. It's the cool, hip thing to do to put David Johnson at the top of your running back rankings in redraft. And if if it's becoming cool, if the wannabes have latched on to David Johnson, I want no part of that guy. Get me away from him. There's nowhere left to go. There's nothing left for me to say. Oh, I have him at number one. Well, so does he, and so does he, and so does he, and so does he, and so does he. I have David Johnson at one. What do you think about David Johnson? Uh, well, so I also have him at one, and that's about it. So under no circumstances will you be able to get me to talk about David Johnson. In fact, if you're listening to this show, and I'm planning to have you on the show, if we've already booked you in the future to come on the show in February... April, May, or if you're planning on coming on the show and you haven't told me yet, if you want to come on the show, I'll issue you a challenge. Try to get me to talk about David Johnson because I won't do it. Under no circumstances will I talk about him. David Johnson is much healthier and a much lower injury risk than Le'Veon Bell, and David Johnson is in a much better situation than Todd Gurley. That's it. That's all you need to know. Mark him down as the number one running back in fantasy. I have nothing left to. That's interesting to talk about in my arsenal. I give up. I abstain from David Johnson talk. We've already said everything there is to say. He's 224 pounds. He's ideal size. He had a 40% college dominator rating, which was 86th percentile. So he was incredibly productive at the college level. He broke out at age 19. That's 70th percentile. All his workout metrics 40 time speed score burst score agility score bench press all in the 75th percentile or above that's how you get to a 134.9 94th percentile spark score that's before we factor in your height and weight he has a 134.9 spark score before you factor in the fact that he weighs 224 pounds And that's without even talking about his skills as a receiver. The fact that you can line him out wide and he can run receiver routes as good as most receivers in the league. He could play wide receiver if he needed to. They lined him up as a wide receiver multiple times this past weekend. And instead of being James White converting 33% of his targets... David Johnson was efficient and productive in all phases, all season. The moment David Johnson was given an opportunity, he started to produce. And he produced efficiently, and he never stopped. And I don't see him stopping in 2016. I see the train just gathering steam. Him gaining confidence. The team gaining confidence in him and him being a cog in one of the most potent offenses in the NFL and being thrust into that RB1 slot, the number one running back in fantasy. David Johnson in 2016 is what Le'Veon Bell was in 2014. And that's it, there's nothing left to say. There's no more analysis than that. I'm done, I abstain, I am walking away. Here are all my papers, get some papers together. Here's my papers, here these papers, here are these papers. Here's papers. These are my David Johnson papers, okay? My David Johnson papers, getting some more papers. Here are my David Johnson papers, throwing my David Johnson papers on the ground. I'm throwing them away. There's nothing left to talk about with David Johnson. There's nothing interesting to say. I've said all there is to say about David Johnson. That's it. But I said it a year ago. I said all this a year ago. So I'll just say it again. All that's changed now is that Arizona now knows what they have in David Johnson. I knew what Arizona had in David Johnson six months before they did, and that's fine. That's okay. But now they know, and now that they know, he will be the bell cow running back for the Cardinals next year, in which case, you have to rank him as your number one running back in redraft. There's really no other place to go. And because there's no other place to go, because it's the obvious move i have nowhere else to go with david johnson i have nothing left to say i'm talking about david johnson at this point is as interesting as trying to predict game flow which as you know is one of the banes of my existence the fact that i have to consume game flow predictions oh it's the worst Not only hearing fantasy analysts predict game flow like nails on a chalkboard, but then taking that game flow prediction, which we have no idea whether it will come to fruition or not. We have no idea whether that is going to happen or not. It's the NFL. We started the show laying down the premise that the NFL is the randomest of the sports, the least predictable of the sports. So you can't predict game flow. So what do you do? You go ahead and predict game flow, and then you predict how your game flow prediction will then impact the game plan for each team in the game. And you just spin your wheels and spin your wheels and spin your wheels like one of these monster trucks stuck in the mud. And I'm behind the monster truck. My face is behind the tire, just mud splashing into my face. (laughs) Face covered in game flow mud. Look at David Johnson last weekend. The Arizona Cardinals were down and they were down big. Did that stop them from funneling the offense through David Johnson? No. If I showed you the final score and I showed you David Johnson's final statistics, you would be confused. Why? Because not only can you not predict game flow, you can't predict how coaches will react to the game flow that actually happens. You can't predict the game plan. You can't predict in-game adjustments. So stop wasting your time and our time making these predictions. They are a waste of time. Game flow predictions reached epic absurdity 10 days ago when fantasy analysts like Matthew Barry, the biggest fantasy analyst in the world, The fantasy analyst with the biggest audience, the most followers, is Matthew Barry. And what was Matthew Barry doing? Matthew Barry was predicting that Kansas City would run the ball more because it would be missing Macklin. Macklin wouldn't be 100%, so he predicted that against New England, Kansas City would run the ball more. What happened? Alex Smith posted a career-high number of pass attempts. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Oops. What happened to them leaning on the run without Macklin? Macklin left the game at halftime, played very little in the second half. Did they run the ball throughout the second half? Of course not. They were down multiple scores. They were throwing the ball, not running it. But but Macklin was out. I thought they had to run the ball with Macklin out. My brain is melting listening to these game flow predictions. Nonsense. <sighs> I just don't like prediction radio. I like to analyze what happened. Give me some games. Let me consume some games. And maybe I can find some interesting events in those games to talk about. Some interesting players in those games to talk about. Instead of just spinning my wheels and throwing mud in people's faces, providing useless commentary. It's not what we do on the show. A lot of things were debunked in that Arizona Cardinals-Carolina Panthers game. What happened to that whole tall receivers falling off a cliff at age 31? Larry Fitzgerald didn't have a great game against the Cardinals, but the game before that, Larry Fitzgerald, eight catches, 176 yards, and a touchdown in the second round of the playoffs. Game number 17 for Larry Fitzgerald this season. Larry Fitzgerald disproving the arbitrary 31-year-old tall receiver cliff myth. Eight catches, 176 yards, and a touchdown. Not exactly falling off a cliff. Brandon Marshall didn't exactly fall off a cliff. Oh, never mind. That was just a theory. We're moving on. Yes, it's a theory that's been debunked because these hyper-specific arbitrary thresholds never hold water. I like Larry Fitzgerald. I think he has more fantasy-relevant seasons in him. I still have Larry Fitzgerald as a top 40 dynasty-wide receiver, ahead of Jarvis Landline, Marvin Jones, ahead of Michael Crabtree. I have Larry Fitzgerald ahead of Kelvin Benjamin, as we discussed earlier. Shout out to Robert Shanti for that Jarvis Landry joke, by the way. So if you contact the show, one of the benefits is maybe you'll get your joke read on the air, yes. I like Larry Fitzgerald because there's no risk. We know what he is. He has a track record for fantasy WR1 production, and he has WR1 upside at least for one more season. The guys I mentioned, Jarvis Landline, Marvin Jones, Michael Crabtree, Kelvin Benjamin, those players have significantly more risk and will likely never be fantasy WR1s, ever. Also, with Larry Fitzgerald, you know a work ethic when you see it. Larry Fitzgerald runs an off-season camp for wide receivers to help them stay in shape and work on their craft. You know with Larry Fitzgerald that he is going to get the absolute most out of his ability and will be a productive player for as long as his body possibly allows. On the other side, you have other players. Some of them are big. Players like Demarius Thomas, I believe, will fall off a cliff but not because they're big and not because they get old, but because they don't have Larry Fitzgerald's work ethic. If you had to find the quintessential player in the NFL who gets the bare minimum out of his ability, it would be Demarius Thomas. Demarius Thomas is just the most recent example of a player's efficiency and productivity dramatically declining this season immediately after he signed his one mega extension. I mean Demarius Thomas is the poster child for player who wins with explosive athleticism. But is otherwise sloppy and undisciplined, literally in every other facet of the game other than athleticism. I mean, Demarius Thomas has multiple top five fantasy seasons on his resume, but he's not a great route runner, and that didn't seem to stop him from achieving top five fantasy wide receiver status. He doesn't have great hands, but that didn't seem to stop him from achieving top five fantasy wide receiver status. Jeff Janis fans should always have Demarius Thomas in their back pockets whenever anyone tries to pull the route running card on them or the small hands card on them or the body catcher card on them. Just pull out Demarius Thomas's face and slap it on the table. Demarius Thomas will be like a knife, a knife that you have just slid in behind your belt buckle. You reach behind your back. You grab that knife when you're being attacked. You just stab, 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 Stab these attackers, stab these Jeff Janus haters with this secret knife called Demarius Thomas. You take a picture of Demarius Thomas's face. You roll it up into one of those prison shivs that's actually made of paper and you just stab people with it whenever they try to tell you that Jeff Janus is a sloppy route runner and that that really matters. Or that Jeff Janis is a body catcher on deep passes. And that really matters. I think what matters more is that Jeff Janis is a hard worker. I mean, who would bet against this player? A player who's 6'3", 220, so he has ideal size for your fantasy WR1. Ideal size. Then he has upper echelon athleticism in the same category as Julio Jones, Demarius Thomas, and Calvin Johnson. And then on top of all of that, the size and athleticism, you also add humble attitude and great work ethic. Jeff Janis is one of those players who is first to arrive at the facility and last to leave. That's the anecdotal analysis of Jeff Janis. Who would bet against that player? I'm the numbers guy. I'm not supposed to care about work ethic as much as the knuckle-dragging, narrative-based analysts are. I'm not supposed to care about that stuff as much. Yet, it's the knuckle-draggers, the narrative spewers that hate Jeff Janis. He's just the kind of receiver you're supposed to like. The work ethic, the humble attitude. You always gravitate towards that player unless his name is Jeff Janis. It's weird. The analysts that love the anecdotal still like Demarius Thomas, even though Demarius Thomas's yardage total dropped by 315 yards and his touchdown total dropped by five the year immediately following his mega contract. And those same people will find any way to pick apart Jeff Janis. Unbelievable. I mean, beyond the counting stats, Demarius Thomas, his production premium, the situation agnostic efficiency metric on playerprofiler.com, Demarius Thomas's production premium dropped from plus 5.9, which was 35th in the league in 2014, dropped to negative 7.3, number 76 in the league this past season. Demarius Thomas signing that mega contract in 2015 was a lot like Calvin Johnson, who signed an eight-year, $150 million contract in 2012. And that was after back-to-back 1,600-plus yards Seasons after that contract, Calvin Johnson never reached the 1500 yard threshold ever again, and he won't ever again. Calvin Johnson isn't that kind of receiver, he'll never be a 1500 yard receiver again. But it's weird, right? It's weird that the metrics guy has to bring up the work ethic and the humble attitude to the anecdote based analysts when it comes to Jeff Janice. And I'm the one that has to bring up Demarius Thomas's flaws and inefficiencies to the narrative-chasing crowd. It's weird. There is no metric for work ethic. There is no metric for humble attitude. But it does matter. I absolutely factor in some anecdotal evidence when I'm evaluating players. Evidence of work ethic, evidence for a love of the game absolutely matters. It mattered with Larry Fitzgerald and still does and it matters with Demarius Thomas, and it matters with Jeff Janis. And I know there are some hardcore analytics-based buzzards out there, and they will hammer me for talking about work ethic on this show. I know it. Thankfully, there's a lot of bad analysis out there, so I'm not alone, right? My work ethic analysis is off-base. That's okay. Plenty of bad analysis out there. But incessantly mocking the bad analysis also, that's unfair. It is. For some reason, I attract an inordinate number of buzzards who like to mention past tweets from mainstream sports analysts, mocking them. The number one piece of analysis that this audience brings to my attention is something that Ron Jaworski said. Jaws said that Colin Kaepernick will be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. (laughs) It is funny. It's funny. I get it. It's funny. It's ridiculous. How did it come to be that Colin Kaepernick rose to that level of esteem in the mind of Ron Jaworski? I have no idea. It's amazing. Hilarious. Incredible. But in fairness to Jaws, every analyst eventually gets fooled by some new NFL gimmick from the spread option to the Wildcat. It happens. Think about how many fantasy analysts were advocating for Eagles players because of Chip Kelly's system. Hundreds, thousands. So you all need to back off my man Jaws, okay? I mean, these people that constantly just follow around the coaches and attribute credit to the coaches and make predictions about player performances based on who their coach is, they never go away. I I could do a show that tries to kill coach worship, that tries to debunk coach worship. Every single week, I could do a show on that, and it wouldn't put a dent in coach talk. Coach analysis would not stop. It wouldn't be throttled by one article. Nothing would change. These people are unstoppable. The coach talk people are like The Walking Dead. They're not walkers these zombies are coach talkers. Yeah, not walkers coach talkers because if anyone can fix Colin Kaepernick It's Chip Kelly We're back (laughs) Colin Kaepernick's back Not mocking Ron Jaworski anymore we mocked him last year, but that was when Jim Tomsula was the coach. Now it's Chip Kelly. We're back on the Kaepernick bandwagon. Come back out, Jaws. Jaws is terrified, hiding on a shelf in some grocery store, in some dystopia, surrounded by zombies. Come on out, Jaws. Come on out now. You can come out now. Chip Kelly's on San Francisco now. Chip Kelly's going to coach Colin Kaepernick. You might be right after all, Jaws. Come on out. If anyone can fix Colin Kaepernick, it's Chip Kelly. Why? Why is that? What is that based on? Crickets. There's nothing there. There's no data backing that up that somehow Chip Kelly has the magic dust that he can sprinkle on to Colin Kaepernick and make him an effective NFL quarterback without the crutch of a spread option gimmick. But San Francisco did acquire someone who can actually help Colin Kaepernick more than Chip Kelly. His name is Eric Rogers. And he's from the CFL, but his father is not a Hall of Fame wide receiver like Chris Carter. So people won't be running out to pick up Eric Rogers like they were running out to pick up the colossal flop that was Deron Carter. Deron Carter, who the Dynasty Zombies stumbled out of their homes and shacks to quickly acquire when the rush was on to grab Deron Carter, I was a contrarian. I disagreed. I didn't think he was worth picking up. I compared Deron Carter to another CFL player, a Darius Bowman, who would never get a chance to play in the NFL, and Deron Carter never deserved a chance to play in the NFL, and the only reason he received a chance to play in the NFL is because his dad was Chris Carter the end, and I was alone on an island surrounded by zombies, these zombies were dropping Jeff Janis to gleefully acquire Daron Carter. And they were wrong. And now news has just broken that Daron Carter has just re-signed with the CFL franchise. Oh, yes. In his place, the NFL now has a new former CFL star in Eric Rogers. And I like Eric Rogers. We will get into Eric Rogers more in the weeks ahead. But on playerprofiler.com, Eric Rogers' best comparable player, Kenny Britt. Deron Carter's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com was Marcus Lucas. <laughs>